Welcome to the TurfNet Renovation Report, brought to you by Golf Preservations, the Andersons, and Capillary Bunkers. I'm Anthony Piappi, your host. Joining me is John McDonald II, Vice President of Golf Course Construction Company, McDonald's and Sons Incorporated, and incoming President of the Golf Course Builders Association of America. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thanks, Anthony. Glad to be here. John, I want to talk to you about some a wide range of topics from your view of the golf course industry. So tell me, first of all, what 2022 is going to look like for your side of the business, the construction people. So for our, our side, in, in general, in aggregate, for the golf construction co- uh, companies, we, we looked at a very prosperous, busy 2022. Most of our fellow golf course builders that I've spoken to are showing very full schedules. Some are, you know, between 75 and 100% booked up for 2022 already. Wow! Which in this industry, this early in the year, that that's a that's a great thing. Um, so so the demand is still strong for golf construction, and um, most people are staying very busy. And and John, what percentage do you think is renovation restoration, and what percentage is new build? Our our company in particular does like almost exclusively renovation work. We try to do high-end renovation work, but renovation work can be a couple of tees to an 18-hole remodel. On an existing course, we still consider that renovation to some degree. Okay. New construction, whether it's a nine-hole addition or an 18-hole addition, uh, we've actually seen some upturn in those numbers over the last couple of years with some new courses being built, which is great for golf courses as a whole, but I still think it's a very low number. New construction is probably less than 20% of the total golf construction out there. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm shooting from the hip on these numbers. They're not exact, but that's what would be my take from what I've seen. In the heyday of, of construction, when we're talking like the early 2000s, late 1990s, were you doing any renovation or restoration or were you just doing new builds? Yeah, so we, we did do some new build work, but my dad, who was a former golf course superintendent, was definitely more leaning towards renovation work. Uh, he liked that, upgrading other bunkers. So, but we, we did do a, a, a handful of new construction um, as opposed to some of the other big bigger golf course builders out there that did predominantly new construction. And right. At one point, if you remember, the demand for golf was supposed to be a new golf course a day. Right. To meet demand, which was a, apparently now looking back at it, that was a bit of an overshoot. So for you guys, when there was the downturn in these construction companies that were primarily new builders, some of them went out of business. Were you guys able to, did, were you, even in the downturn, was there enough renovation, restoration work for you to keep going? There was. So we, we were fortunate that we had already found a niche in renovation work um, because just like we all know, bigger construction jobs takes bigger equipment. That's a bigger overhead. That's a bigger commitment from a company. Right. We had smaller equipment to do smaller renovation work so we could handle the tough times. We definitely saw a downturn in the economy as well. The, sci- the golf scientists out there tell you, a golf course is like a living, breathing environment. It has it has a uh, age. There's like a life cycle to some of these features. So sure. no matter where what golf course you are, at some point your bunkers need redone. Right. Your greens need redone. Your tees need redone. So we were fortunate, and we built a reputation with the clients we did have to have them always call us back. And there's been a couple. You know, 2008 was the big downturn, but there were some minor ones before that as well. And we were able to because of the renovation niche market we were in, we were able to survive that. Yeah, because and you know we all remember that we we either worked at golf courses or played on golf courses that needed that renovation, that bunker renovation, but with the downturn in the economy, just couldn't afford it. You know, bunkers had gone well past their their life cycle, but you guys were still able to to find enough work. 
Correct. There's still enough courses out there that had it, and and we and we do. I mean, we we work on a variety of golf courses. You know, public. The majority of our work is on private country clubs, but we we work anywhere that needs renovation work done. So, you know, we got to ride the coattails of the new construction boom because as new courses were being built, it it uh, developed a demand for older courses to keep up with the pace of play and the quality of the products that were coming out. So they had to have us come in or, right. or any, any renovation builder really to come in and redo bunkers and tees because they got a brand new 18 hole course five miles down the road and they were afraid of losing membership. So, um, so we, we did that. That's, that's really interesting. I never thought of that. So, yeah. So the, these courses that were, were comfortable for lack of a better term, ownership was, or membership was comfortable for a while really had to up their game because now there's literally competition down the road. Correct. Yeah, complacency was something you couldn't you couldn't keep up with because you had to generate a product that people wanted to pay and play. You know, because a lot of it's still you know country clubs. Even if it's privately owned, it could be public access. But you had to keep up with the level of the of your competition that was coming out, and that was a good thing for everybody. You know, especially us. Now, in the downturn, you had your bigger golf course builders that were building eighteen hole golf courses on a regular basis that market dried up so that's when we actually were hit the most is when they started renovating golf courses as well they didn't it wasn't something they all did on a regular basis because they had their schedule full with new builds but then when that market turned down they came to start picking up whatever golf course jobs they can and that ended up being the jobs we were on so competition for us got much stiffer when that downturn in 2008 hit interesting and so for that for those companies like you said, a build requires much different equipment than a much bigger equipment. So they were they were almost changing their equipment fleet to to start doing renovations and restorations. Right now, you, you can I mean you can still dig up a green with a you know forty five thousand pound excavator. It just doesn't make much sense, yeah. right? Because it's so big, it's so much to move it out there. Right. We're we're kind of like a, you know we're we're very efficient, small, can move equipment in and I can get across the golf course. But there's plenty of, uh, of of larger golf course builders out there and. and construction companies as a whole that were showing up with some very large equipment for renovation projects and then had to make the switch to park or dump some of their bigger equipment and buy smaller, more efficient equipment. Um, you know, and that was, that was probably, like we've always had these, you know, mini excavators around, but that's when those started to become more prevalent. Most, most people before just had your big, your 25 to 50,000 pound excavators. Right. Now we have these little ones that you can literally drop inside of a bunker. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because I don't think I've, I've thought about that in a sense. But if you're if you're if you're carving out fairways for the first time, you're using much bigger equipment. You're making bunkers for the first time. You don't care how big your equipment is because you're not digging up a golf course. You're building a golf course. Yeah, new construction guys are out there pushing with you know D8s or big deer Kamatsu dozers, and, right. and we're out there renovating bunkers and building tees with these little like you know John Deere 550s or something. You know, so much different equipment. For the task at hand. How many guys do you have in your company? So right now, which is probably at our peak of total number of employees, yep. uh, we've been running about 100, close to 150. You know, there's always some fluctuation. Guys leave, guys come. Sure. But 150 and probably 100 of them are field personnel, right? Maybe 120. Right. And then you have your management, your shop, your office, your admin help. But uh, but that's, that's come up for the last couple of years. But we've been over the 120 mark for probably the last four years. And and at the at the low, what were you at? At the low, when we first started, we were probably 
in the tens of people, you know, I mean, like my dad's out there, his two sons are out there, a couple of, couple of key guys working on some equipment that broke down every couple hours because that's all we could afford when we started. So I think when we first started, we might have had 20 or 30 employees. And what about like 2008 when everything, when everything really slowed down? What were you down to then? I think in 2008, right before the downturn, we were probably up to 80. I don't have like all my data in front of me. Right. And I right. think we probably dropped in the neighborhood of 20% just as work thinned out. And how many, how many crews do you have? How many jobs will you, will you work be working at one time? For the last two years, uh, it's been, you know, very hectic schedule because we've been we've been known to run um, upwards of seventeen to seventeen to 20, fifteen to twenty projects at a time. Yep. Because uh, we have a static crew up in New York that, hand, that helps handle the Northeast, uh, and we go anywhere in the country. But when things are very busy, which is you know spring uh, and fall. Summer slows down sometimes, but it could be anywhere between fifteen and twenty projects every week across the. And you guys are across the country. Yeah, our, our main focus. I, I I tell people our main focus is what I consider the expanded Mid Atlantic, which goes from the Carolinas out to Ohio up to Connecticut. But we do work. We have a job coming up uh, here later this year in Texas. We work in California. We basically go wherever the job is that wants us. And that comes from either uh, right. our reputation and, and an architect getting us into a club and a bid. Sometimes, you know, the golf industry is a very unique one where uh, we have golf course builders that are from Nebraska or California or Texas working in Maryland and Virginia. Right. Typically, your big general contractors don't travel across states like that, but we also go to Texas and California and Nevada and do work in their backyards. And sometimes it's just because who you know, like we have a superintendent on the East Coast that liked this and got a job out West. First thing he's going to want to do is bring us with us, you know, or bring us with him because he, because he knows that he knows that we're going to do. And some of that is that's those guys' livelihood. They don't want somebody to come in and mess it up and they're comfortable with us. And you know, as long as the numbers are fair and the club's okay, it's more of a partnership sometimes now than in a competitive bid market. And, and you guys are based where? Your home office is? So we're actually in Jessup, Maryland, which is just a little bit uh, south and west of Baltimore, Maryland. And if you get a job, like if you do something where you get a job in Nevada, are you bringing your equipment out there or are you um, leasing it on the on the job? Yep. So we do a combination of both because we there's there's certain specialty equipment that we have that have like special attachments on it. Like we have these special knuckles that are on our mini excavator so the bucket can swivel instead of just a standard excavator bucket okay and sometimes the rental companies don't have that so we'll end up taking loads of our own either depending on how far west it is we'll drive it or we'll broker with a shipper to take out our equipment and then the bigger items dozers bigger excavators sometimes even like carts to move guys around and skid loaders yep. we'll rent from you know we have we have good partnership contacts with all the big equipment rental companies and will rent as needed to fill the, to fill the void of the equipment we don't bring. And and on an average job, out of the fifteen, if you if there is such a thing, how many guys are on each site? I realize some jobs you're doing a complete bunker renovation, and some you're doing three T's. But how many guys per crew? So an, an average is probably twelve to sixteen. But like you said, I have one crew right now that's like got four people on it because it's a small little and just it's a steady slow next bunker next tee whatever and then we have another job 
that I mean, winter right now, it's it's kind of in a shutdown mode because of the weather, but that job will have 30 people on it. Really? Okay. Interesting. All right, John, uh, let's take a quick break uh, for a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. The capillary bunker system keeps bunker moisture at optimal levels to eliminate washouts, soil contamination, plugged ball lies, and other bunker maintenance and playability problems. The patented capillary bunker system not only rapidly drains rain from storms, but also moves moisture back up to the bunker sand through capillary action as needed during drier weather. Capillary bunkers last longer, average a three-year payback, and provide better, more consistent player experiences, all with a 10-year performance guarantee. For more information, visit capillarybunkers.com. From fairway and greens drainage to full-scale renovation work, Golf Preservations can handle your project with ease and give you the peace of mind of knowing the professionals are caring for your valuable golf course assets. Since 2005, Golf Preservations has meticulously installed over 500 miles of drainage pipe on more than 300 golf courses nationwide, always keeping disruption of play to a minimum. Visit golfpreservations.com or call 606 606- 499-2732 to speak with us about your next drainage or renovation project. Introducing Genesis RX, a line of comprehensive fertility and soil amendment solutions specifically designed for airification, construction, renovation, sodding, sprigging, and seeding. These blends represent the most comprehensive fertilizers the Andersons have ever produced, offering single product solutions designed to simplify fertility and save time in application. To learn more, visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash turf. Okay, we're back on the TurfNet Renovation Report with John McDonald, Vice President of McDonald's and Sons Incorporated and incoming president of the Golf Course Builders Association of America. John, take me through the process from the beginning of how you end up getting hired to do, let's just say, a complete bunker renovation at a golf course, how that all comes about. Uh, sure. So there's a couple of different ways that that happens. The traditional way is a club, a golf course decides they want to do work and selects a golf course designer or architect to design what they want to see. After that, they put those designs and spec books out to bid. Contractors show up for a pre-bid um, to look at the work, put the bid in. Contractors selected by the club and the architect talking about who's best for the work. Then you negotiate with the club to sign a contract, set a price, set a start date, and show up and go to work. The other way, and sometimes how we do it, and several contractors have been doing it now uh, that things are so busy, is you can have, like a lot of clubs or a lot of superintendents know a builder. Like for us, we have several golf courses that we've worked at, 20, 30, 40 different projects on the same property. They're not going to bid that out. They know what we do. They know they want us. They work out the, um, they work out the, the, they know our pricing is good, so they want us. So we're seeing more, we're seeing more partnerships and um, and joint stuff where the architect would you know, sees a project that they know is fit for us or any contractor, and they just bring you in to negotiate a price. So negotiating prices is now a new big thing, too, if they know who they want to work with. 
let's just say we're going to do a golf course and we're going to, you're going to renovate 60 bunkers. You bring somebody out to that site, you're, one of your guys, at, and how do you figure this all, all out? What goes into the process of coming up with your numbers? So we have, uh, you know, every site's different, but golf course renovation work is based, our bids are always based on unit prices. So you, you do your measurements. You know how many, how many tons of sand you're going to take out of a bunker. And then we have a set price for that, so much dollars per ton out. The grading, the shaping, is, the shaping sometimes is a per-bunker price to shape it up per the architect's uh, direction or the plan. Drainage is per foot. Of, so everything's kind of unit price. You take all the pieces that make the whole, you list out the quantities, add it to the, you know, the unit price in there, and come up with a number. And, and, that's, and that's, how, that's how basically everybody does it. That's like standard standard way of doing this yeah for the most part it is there's some there's some golf courses and sometimes when you're when you're dealing with uh, municipal work they want to lump some bid we tend to avoid those because we're the contractor that wants to do the work per the units if we don't do all the units we don't want to charge the club but then we can take that money and use it to add units to another part of the bid but that's typically how most of them have been broken down because there's so many components to like building a green Right, the core out, the drainage, the gravel layer, the mix, the grassing on top. Uh, there's a bunch of parts, and then on top of all that, we have to add our company mobilization in, layout and staking. There's all these other components to it. And as a matter of fact, Anthony, like the Golf Course Builders Association has and, com- and have come up with a cost guide for golf course construction renovation work that superintendents can use that actually helps show some of those categories. You can like plug in your own units. And kind of like it's it's a guide. It's not a bid. It's a guide, but it shows you kind of ballpark the average price of some of this work. And and when you travel around the country and you do this work, are there areas where getting supplies like crushed stone for for drainage or or a good mix for greens is more difficult to get than other places? Yeah, absolutely. You um, of all things, sometimes like you you figure like Nevada, right? It's just a big desert. Well, there's no good sand there for, for golf construction. They bring that sand in from California. No kidding. Us being in, yeah, us being in, in, in Maryland and working mainly in the northeast and the mid-Atlantic, um, you'll hear a lot of people like our pipe suppliers. This is a very, this, this market up here is still very uh, behind the eight ball with getting product out on the sites with COVID, with drivers down, factories not working. Like we used to get pipe in five to ten days. We're now putting pipe order in for pipe for job sites and them giving us delivery dates three to six months out. Three to six months? It's hard. But so, wow. Yeah, which, which is so, – so that, and that also facilitates and pushes the getting on a contract with a golf course and them selecting a contractor early. So we put the order in for the pipe months in advance of the job, but we didn't used to have to do that. But the Northeast is tough for that. There's other areas where gravel and bunker sand is a very – particular product so sometimes people ship sand out of ohio or someplace where they know the sand's good and, and they pay top dollar to have it shipped right across the country on rail cars to get it so right every region has its own special niche of what what products can be easier or tougher to get one of my favorite stories is an architect told me he was working in a project in oklahoma and a project in texas and the oklahoma golf course got their sand from texas and the texas golf course got their sand from oklahoma <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, uh, it's, 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 it's guys, they got these guys have very particular wants and desires, and 
and the science behind all these products now between the sod and the sand and the greens mix and it, it's it's very it's very particular guys know what they want and they're willing to pay to get it because like i said we have a livestock you put bunker sand in a bunker it should last 15 years you got to put the right stuff in and then you got to maintain it so and and for uh, for you are, are you traveling are you administration just now or most of the part or do you get out do you get out to these jobs so I, I stay in the office most of the time. So as a family business, it was always my brother and I. My, you know, my dad got us in. My brother learned how to run the equipment. He's a great shaper. He's a project manager. And I tended towards more the admin, fixing problems in the office. Right. And then I, then I realized, like, my office is climate controlled. I got the better end of that deal for sure. Like, he's out there in the cold <laughs> and the heat and the rain and the snow. Yeah. But in here with, I was going to say it doesn't rain in your office, does yeah. it? No, it's always the, the thermostat's always set. I got two computer screens. They're big ones because my I don't have, I have to wear my reading glasses. So, but yeah, I'm mostly in. I do like to make site visits on jobs just to get out because I like to see what our team's doing out there and see the work. And it's always good to catch up with the superintendents because the way we've been doing it, some of these superintendents, my brother and I have known since we were kids. How and how long have you been doing this? When did when when did you start? What year? So our our company was formed in 1984. We, my dad did some small renovation work before he formed the company, McDonald and & Sons, and my brother and I both came into it at different times after our college years, so it would have probably been, I mean, we still work summers, and you know, where most kids get off vacation in the summer from college yep. and go have fun. No, my brother and I had to work all summer, work Christmas vacation, work spring break. Right. Um, but then we both came in, which probably would have been around 1990, okay. both came in full-time to the company. Interesting. And and in that time, what's, uh, you know, I think about the way bunker liners have come into play and that didn't exist. And what what's the biggest change you've seen as far as renovation, restoration work from your end in, in, in this, what's, what's now going to be 32 years, well, more than that, since, you know, almost 40 years? So definitely some of the products that are, are out there, bunker liners especially, because we and that and that was actually a byproduct some of somewhat of the bunker style and shaping, you know, flat bottom bunker. You, know, you still could still could use a liner to keep the dirt away from the sand, but you don't have the washouts and the water running in from the side, which which was precipitated the need for liners, aggregate fabric liners to help keep the sand up and or separated. Other than that, most of the other you know, there's better seeds out there. You know, they're always coming up with new seeds, new sod products, um, new mixes in the green, but you're still, you know, still the standard is an 80-20 mix for greens. There's right. special, you know, mixes out there. Superintendents have a need. What's changed the most is the equipment we use to do it and how efficient and fast most golf course builders can be at getting done. What, what used to take days or weeks can be done now in a day or less. And what kind? Tell me specifically some of the the equipment changes. Track skid loaders. We never used to have track skid loaders, right? We had rubber tire skid loaders. And anybody that drove a rubber tire skid loader knows sometimes it gets to bouncing. You just had to like hold on to the roll cage and hope for the best. Cause okay. You, get, you know, but between track skid loaders, uh, the advent and diversity of mini excavators that's made our our job. Sure. Great, because sure. we used to have to do that with either big excavators or by hand. Like they can go in there with a mini excavator and cut an edge, dig, you know, dig out the bunker sand, dig the trench, and then um, equipment hauling. So everybody has seen the Toro Workman and the John Deere Gator. 
They use them on golf courses for the maintenance crew. We use them on golf courses for renovation because we can haul gravel in them, sand in them, pipe in them, people in them. And then, and then the okay. big thing is yep. the we have a whole fleet of these little off-road articulated dumpers. Where I remember when I first started, we were driving like an on-road five-ton single-axle dump truck, you know, standard transmission, PTO, back right. up, it falls in the bunker. Yeah. Right. Now we have these little dumpers that are, uh, you know, a bunch of different brands of them, but they make hauling equipment across the job site very efficient. It keeps the course clean. We don't do as much damage because we have these wide turf tires. Interesting. And and is there is there a trend coming that you can predict? Or you, do you see any new pieces of equipment or a, a, a mode of building something that's coming down the road that will become standard in the next few years? So uh, the other thing that's been a big help I didn't mention just a second ago is the, the layout that we do. Like we all use GPS guided layout, laser levels. Like that's helped us out. You know, back in the early day, we used to use a transit and a and a lock level. And you know, it's very now everything you can GPS a whole green. We build it. I see that still becoming more prevalent in helping the efficiency of getting golf course construction. Maybe not so much as some of the bigger road builders or earth mover site developers where the, where the machines are actually run by telematics or, or run by lasers where the operator is pretty much putting them forward and reverse. There's still enough flow and individual creativity in golf course work from the, from the, from the rolling terrain of a fairway that I think a skilled operator needs to do that. I don't know that the, the machine can do that as efficiently as somebody that really knows that you've had experience doing it, but that, that's probably still coming down the future as the use of, of uh, you know, machine-guided equipment. Interesting. Interesting. But that's a good point that you make, too, because of you're not trying to build something that's dead level other than tees. So you're not building a road, right? So you can't, being, gu- being guided by technology isn't, isn't going to help in that situation. Right. We've all seen those big road graders out there. they got the two big knobs on the end, you know, just tool machine control. It's being guided by a laser or GPS, but when you're building a parking lot or something, you can do that. When you have gently rolling terrains on a, on a golf hole or a grass mound or a grass depression, uh, I think it's hard to get what those controls. You still have to have the personal touch of a skilled operator. Right. That's a good point. All right. Well, that concludes today's episode. My guest has been John McDonald. Uh, Vice President of McDonald Sons Incorporated and the incoming president of the Golf Course Builders Association of America. John, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Hey, Anthony, appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad I could be here and uh, look forward to catching up in the future.